I know where my eternal destination lies, and I know what I'm going to graduate to. I'm going to graduate to a place called heaven, and it's going to be a beautiful sight. But what about you? We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 again this morning. Um, if you go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me today, uh, Luke chapter 15, we're going to continue into this um, series that we've been in, Finding Your Way Back to God. Uh, we took a week off uh, because of Mother's Day last week, and uh, we uh, are going to spend this week and next week uh, on this series, and then we're going to uh, go to something else that I'm really excited about for the month of June. But this is how I want to start this. Historians debate that there's um, a lot of pivotal days in the history of the world, right? So some say that the most important day that was ever happened or ever happened in the world was the day the printing press was invented. You know, like, what would we do without the printing press? Others say the first, the day that the first plane may have taken flight, like how would we get around to other parts of the world? Maybe it's the day that uh, the internet was created. I, I know how, we talk about graduates, like they know, they know the internet. Uh, they know their way around that. Uh, what would we do without the internet today? I mean, I could keep rattling off candidates. Maybe you could keep rattling off things that you think would be the most pivotal day in the life of anybody in the world. But I'm going to show you a video this morning that I think uh, the NC State fans would say is the most pivotal time in the world for NC State fans. Watch this video with me. Look, one of the most memorable moments, some of you NC State fans will really appreciate that this morning, memorable moments in the NCAA basketball history came in 1983 when NC State won the national title. It was the last time they've won the national title. <laughs> uh, some of you watched. Some of you, some of you watched. Anybody watch that game live? Anybody get the opportunity to watch that? I wasn't even alive yet. I was eight years away from being alive. Um, but <laughs> you missed the most important part. You know, um, it's, it's that video that you watch where Coach Jimmy V just runs onto the court in celebration. You know, we, we, we hear about Jimmy V a lot, especially during college basketball season. They have their own tournament for him. They have their own uh, fundraising for Jimmy V um, because of his cancer journey that he went through. When, when that ball goes through the hoop, he literally like runs out of his jacket, uh, out of his shoes in celebration. He almost uh, runs out of, his, uh, out of his clothes. He doesn't even know how to handle the emotions. And what does he do? All he knows to do is celebrate with his players. His celebration is impulsive. It's an eruption of celebration. What I, what I love about that moment and what I love about somebody running wildly in celebration is the reason that he was running was because he was desperately trying to get to his players, the guys that he had coached all year long. It, it wasn't, I don't remember, I haven't really read a whole lot on the 1983 season, but NC State was not the favorite to win. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't even supposed to be there. 
And so for them to win that game, he had just witnessed uh, one of the most biggest miracles in all of NCAA basketball history. And the only thing he knew to do was to celebrate, and he couldn't do it alone. You know, those emotions, those raw emotions of celebration, hear me now, aren't, aren't simply human emotions. You and I, we were created in the image of God. We were told that in the book of Genesis, and when we celebrate, we reflect our Creator. We learned how to celebrate from the very best. I want, to, I want you to keep that image of Jimmy V in your head today. Um, keep that in, image in your, in your mind, uh, where, where he's running like crazy to celebrate. Now, I want you to think back to the moment that you found your way back to God. Maybe it was for the first time, whether that was 40 years ago, or, or whether that was five weeks ago, whether that was five months ago, or maybe it was even five days ago. Keep that image in your mind. Take that and multiply it by a number so large that you can't even count the number of commas. God celebrates that when you find your way back to Him. God celebrates like that whenever we continually find our way back home. And this week we, we look uh, at the awakening to life in this story. Uh, what it looks like for each one of us to be awakened to this thing called life. A life that is lived in celebration. I think about our graduates that, uh, especially our high schoolers that are going to be walking across the stage uh, this coming weekend. Uh, the celebration, right? Like the eruption of celebration. The moment that uh, you get to throw your, your hat up in the air and hope that you get it back. Uh, uh, the moment that, that you get to take that tassel and you get to move it to the other side. The moment that you get to finally uh, do what you have dreamed of doing. You get to uh, walk across the stage and get an empty piece of paper. Uh, and, and then hopefully get your diploma when you get back to the classroom. Uh, all of those moments, all of those raw emotions will come out in celebration. Because you finally did it. You crossed the finish line. You know, two weeks ago, we looked at how we will only truly make ourselves at home with our Father if we learn to embrace our reality as what we call sons and daughters that belong. Remember the Father uh, giving the, the Son the robe and, and the ring and the shoes? What does all of that look like in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the Father? It looks like a celebration. Let's look back at the text in Luke 15. Verses 22 through 24. But the Father, Jesus said these words, But the Father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, the sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And I want you to see something very clear here. The father in this story doesn't just love and embrace the son. He celebrates over him. He makes this unbelievably powerful and mind-blowing statement in verse 24 when he says, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Jesus just turned this story up a notch. 
You know, this is, this is now more than a story about a son simply moving from eating with pigs in this foreign land under the burden of famine. This is more than a story about a son being reconciled to his father and his family. Jesus, in this moment, is pulling back the curtain of the story and letting us see the reality of what truly is about to happen. There is a story of a man who was dead and now is alive. This is a story of resurrection. And when we find our way back to God, we really breathe our first true breath of divine air, of true life. The Father doesn't just accept us. He celebrates over us. And some of us came home to Jesus thinking that we needed a tune-up. Some of us came home to Jesus thinking that uh, maybe we were plagued by a common cold that we just couldn't kick. Some of us came home to Jesus thinking that we were even worse off with a, a chronic disease that leaves us in pain for our entire lives. We came knowing that we were messed up and we needed help. But as long as I've been following Jesus, I still think that I need to be reminded of just how bad off I was before I came home to Him. To help us understand just how desperately and help me understand how desperately I needed and still need the Father to be the host of my house every single day of my life. Look, I don't know what I would do without Him. I, you know, I had, I had a chiropractor tell me this week, I don't know how you're still standing. Literally told me that, sitting in his office. Like, only by the grace of God was I still standing. In his eye, looking at an x-ray, like, how are you still mobilized every day? How are you not hurting? God's grace and God's love. I've been singing Jesus Loves Me in my head all week long. <laughs> you know, I remember hearing that as a kid and um, uh, seeing my daughter sing it. And, man, it's such a gentle reminder that we have a God who loves us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. We came home as dead people and walked into a house alive in the arms of the Father. Biologically speaking, dead beings don't come back to life. Hey, spiritually speaking, through the power of Jesus Christ, dead people are raised to life. God thinks His sons and daughters are miracles. Church, you are a miracle this morning. Every single one of you. Your life is nothing but a miracle. And to say anything less than that is to sell yourself short of what it really is. God sees you as a miracle. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus made it very clear in verse 7 of chapter 15. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over that one sinner who repents over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. First truth this morning. Our Father celebrates over us. Our Father celebrates over us. How does He celebrate over us? I want you to see this. Check this out. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. We don't, we don't read a lot out of Zephaniah. 
Uh, but I love this. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Jesus delights over you today. But this image that I want to give you becomes way more vivid with the, the language of the final line of that verse, that he will rejoice over you with singing. When we come home, when we come home back to God, God literally busts out in song over you. I thought that would get an amen, but it didn't. We've got to wake you up. And to pull back the curtain just a little bit further, and to see just how raw and beautiful God's celebration is over you, this phrase, rejoice over you, it literally means to dance. It literally means to skip, to leap, to spin around in joy. And the idea of spinning around in joy literally means to spin around under violent emotion. That's what, that's what the dictionary says. In other words, people, when we find our way back to God, God dances over you. But here's more. Verse 23 says, bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. Then at the end of verse 40, uh, 24, they begin to celebrate. So there's two words there, let's and they. The Father does much more than, than simply uh, giving us this celebratory word over the Son. The picture is bigger than this uh, thing of rejoicing, this thing over singing and dancing and, and celebrating in heaven. Uh, over us with the, with this choir of, of angels, the Father celebrates with the Son. Like they they throw this party, as I, I said two weeks ago. They they threw a party, and the Father doesn't just throw a private party for Himself. Like they invited the community. They were they were expecting uh, in this in this type of setting. Uh, history says there was probably over a hundred people that came from the community uh, to this celebration. He doesn't celebrate by himself. He wants to celebrate with his son, and his desire is to celebrate with you. Listen, why do you think uh, baptism is an outward expression of our faith? When somebody gets baptized, it isn't, it isn't in your private pool in your backyard. It's in the church service to be public for people to see it. We want to celebrate with you. We want to celebrate over you. In the story, the father would have ushered his son back into this house again. The father was going to celebrate, and he was going to celebrate with this son, and they were going to party together. And that is what God wants to do when we come home to Him, which is, brings us to truth number two. The Father wants to celebrate with us. He doesn't just want to celebrate over us. He wants to celebrate with us. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says that He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. More abundantly. But the only way that your life in the present will be full is if it is lived with God. We were talking about, I think it was men's, men's group, maybe yesterday. I can't, I can't remember. It's been 24 hours since then. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Uh, we were talking about, uh, we, we were seeing that the more, the more wealthy that, that people get, the more miserable that they are. Have you ever seen that before? Like they're they're hoarding it, they're hoarding it, and they're hoarding it, and they're they're not they're not they're not giving it out, they're not giving it away, and they're just miserable. And and in this moment, and what Jesus is saying in John ten, he wants to give us life more abundantly, and when we live it for God, like look, my bank account 
is not my bank account. Every dollar in that bank account is his. He gave that to me. He's blessed me with that. The car that I drive, he can take that away today if he wanted to. Like, and I live my life in that way. Like, I know that I am blessed in everything that I have. And in a snap of a finger, I could be like Job. <laughs> you ever read the story of Job? And, and in the moment, like, man, you're reading and you're like, Job, what's going on? Everything's taken away from the guy. Keeps his eyes on God. And that's me. Like, I, I wonder if, if God were to take everything away from me today. If he were to take my family away, if he were to take my church away, if he would take everything away from me, would I still be content that I have God in my life? And that's a real question. Like, would we be okay with that? Because in Job's life, that's what was going on. Just wonder how, how thankful we are. And how we take it for granted that in the moment, in the snap of a finger, life can be altered. Like, I, I don't know what I would do without my family. I don't know what I would do without my home, without my car. But I hope that my eyes would stay focused on God. That would be my prayer. How does he do that now in the present? In the story, the father shamelessly shows his son grace. He takes him into this house. And in our lives as sons and daughters, God shamelessly shows his sons and daughters grace like he does each of us every single day. And he sets up his home inside of us. John 15, 5, one of the first verses I ever memorized as a as a fruitless student, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, I can do absolutely nothing. I can do nothing. Life is meant to be full. That is what Jesus is referring to uh, here when he talks about bearing fruit. But what people often miss is that this is a, a conditional thing. He says, if you remain in me. If you remain in me, the, the picture of the vine and the picture of the branches, this gives us an image of this interconnectedness that we have, uh, that we would run to the Father after we come home. You see, the branches are connected to the vine, and the vine are their life source. Hey, being connected to the vine is what makes the branches full of fruit to live with, to be close to, to uh, depend to. But the party that we get to celebrate with God isn't just a table for two. Look at verse 23. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us be eat, let us eat and be merry. That was not simply a date with the Father. It was a celebration of grand proportion. As I shared with you two weeks ago, this feast meant that the whole village was invited. Church, if we're going to have a feast, the whole, the whole community is going to be invited. We're not going to keep it closed then for us. We want to we celebrate. And the host of the party wouldn't kill the sheep on the threshold of the house and then would invite the guest, in this case the prodigal son, it would step over the blood into the house. It was a blood covenant between the two parties which made them one. And the father invited the community to join in for an ultimate celebration. And when someone finds their way back to God, 
He invites all the people to join him in celebration. The greatest miracle of the world that he has ever seen. Someone raised from the dead and made one with God himself. That's too good for God to keep to himself. He, he needs people to dance and to shout and to sing with him. But look, there's one more thing we need to see today. The Father wants others to celebrate with you. The Father wants others to celebrate with you. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus tells uh, two short parables that are, that are leading up to this one. And, and with a, a shepherd finding a, a lost sheep in the first one, and a woman finding her lost coin in the second one, and after each one what is lost, each one of them goes back to their community. And the Bible says, rejoice with me. If you'll go back and read those two parables, you'll see the words. In your translation, it would say, rejoice with me. When we see God change people's lives in front of our eyes, God is calling out to His church. He's calling out to you, and He's saying, rejoice with me. That's why I say it doesn't matter what happens here on campus today. If there is a, if there is a life saved anywhere in Rowan County today, if there is a life saved anywhere in North Carolina today, anywhere in the world today, we are to celebrate that. Like, why, why do we think everything has to happen right here on this campus? I'm going to celebrate if there is a life change 0.6 miles down the road from us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to celebrate if they had the highest attendance that they've ever had and we've had the lowest attendance. We're going to celebrate that. Why? Because God is still moving. It doesn't have to happen here. What, when we see God's uh, change people in, in front of our, our eyes, what He's calling to His church, He's like, rejoice. And these people in the story that came to this party, they witnessed the forgiveness of a father. You know, re, I, I, want you to, I want you to think of something. You ever do anything wrong as a child? Like all the time, right? Hey, do you ever remember when mom or dad said, I forgive you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Some of you are like, my mom and dad never forgave me. They still haven't forgiven me. Um, I remember hearing the words, I forgive you. And it always made me feel great because I knew what, I knew what it was going to be. I was the kid that mom had to sit down on the bed. I would scream at the top of my lungs. Sometimes I would, I would, I would hold my breath until I passed out, she said. Uh, I told you two weeks ago or a week ago that, that when I got mad, I was the kid that ran my head into the kitchen cabinets. Uh, literally would get on all fours, ran my head into a cabinet. I would back up again, ran my head into a cabinet. That's what mom said I did when I, when I had temper tantrums. Maybe that's what I do now. You can ask Tiff. Um, I, 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 yeah, it explains a lot. But I, I was that kid. And so the only way mom knew that would straighten me out, spankings did nothing to me. Uh, I would laugh in the face of my dad, like, like literally. Um, but, but she knew if she sat me on the bed, and closed that door, and I couldn't do anything, that that drove me to fits. And I would scream at the top of my lungs. And she said that she could be outside doing something in the garden. She could still hear me screaming. After a, mo <laughs> after a little while, after a little while, I would stop, or I would get so tired that I would go to sleep. And eventually, she would come back into the room, 
She would sit on the bed. What did you do wrong? What are you going to do better? Are we going to go through this again? I was probably grounded for a few days. I was always grounded. I was grounded a lot as a kid. And then she would say, I only do this because what? I hate that. Because <laughs> I do that to Riley now. <laughs> and then she would forgive me. And in those moments of forgiveness, even as small as a child, like what if, what if she never forgave me of those moments? What, what, if, what if my father would never forgive me of those moments? And I lived for 30 years, and I had never had forgiveness from my own family. Listen, we have a father today that wants to forgive us. And he loves us so much. And no matter what we have dealt with, no matter the, the hand that, that has been dealt to us, no matter the life that, that we are having to live, he loves us. And he forgives us. Even when we feel like we can't be forgiven, He still forgives us. Even when we feel like we're not worthy to be forgiven, He still forgives us. Even when we feel like we've done the worst thing in the world, that there is like the unpardonable sin, the, the unforgiving sin, Jesus Christ still loves you and forgives you. And we take that for granted every single day, do we not? When somebody finds their way back to God, they become one with God. But they also enter into this rest of the house where the people that makes up his church already dwell, and they become one with them as well. And what happened when the father, the son, and the village made their way into the house? We know from jumping ahead in this passage that when the prodigal son's older brother comes near the house, he heard music and dancing. And now I've driven up to a party and I've heard the music bumping. You ever, you ever done that? Like, like sometimes your windows start vibrating. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've ever heard that, but I don't know if you've ever heard people dancing. I don't, I don't know if that's possible. These people must have been straight getting it. Hey, this was some serious celebration. And, and this phrase can also be translated into much singing, singing together, boisterous clapping, and the voice of musical instruments. And dancing, as known as it is clear that out of the Father's house, there is a loud, there is a boisterous and joyous celebration that they were getting down. You know my least favorite part of a party? The end of a party. When everybody has to clean up, when everything is over, when it starts dwindling down, the crowd is gone. Maybe it's that time for that last slow dance, whatever is going on. The car ride home is lonely. Think about how the prodigal son must have felt when the party started to die, when he would be all alone again. Some of you can relate to this. You found your way home to God. It was your first party. You were riding that high. You felt untouchable. God was ginormous. The church was perfect. You were raising hands in worship. You were pointing people to Jesus. And then things got hard. 
The pressure of the world started to mount up. Sin starts to become more enticing than ever before. The enemy would not get off your back. Somebody then hurts you within the church, and then the church is to blame for everything because of one person out of a hundred. The church does something that you don't like. You, you decide to get upset about that. You get stuck having your quiet times in the book of Leviticus. And you don't feel God speaking to you anymore. This was the experience of the prodigal son when he went to the first party in the story. He was having a ball. He was having the time of his life. He was throwing Benjamins down like they were pennies. But then he ran out of cash. And when he ran out of cash, he ran out of friends. And he traded in the nightlife to be a slave life. He traded in a loaded wallet for lunch with the pigs. He tried to fulfill all of his longings at this party. He tried to find purpose. He tried to find freedom. He tried to find fulfillment at this party. And all it did was leave him empty and alone. But there's a difference between this party and the second party that the prodigal son attends at the father's house. You see, the party at the father's house doesn't end. That doesn't end. All the, all the longings get fulfilled at the Father's house. The full life is found at the Father's house. He will give you all that you need, even if it's not what you thought you needed. Purpose and freedom are found at the Father's house. Why? Because the party doesn't stop. Because the Father doesn't leave. Listen, all the longings that you tried to fulfill in this life, they're going to leave you high and dry. Eventually, it's going to run out. Eventually, all that stuff, in the end, there's going to be no more. But at the end of life, two things are going to remain. The Father and ultimately His church. And I'm not talking about the local church. I'm talking about the saved church. Why? Because the Father, the party doesn't stop because the Father doesn't leave us. All of these longings... that we try to fulfill in this life aren't going to be there. And when we often find ourselves away from God in our lives, it isn't because He is playing this divine game of hide and seek with us. He said He will never leave us nor forsake us through trying to go back and fulfill the longings and, and the things of this life. We find ourselves out on the porch or maybe even in the driveway while the full life we were created to live is found inside the doors of the Father's house. And if you are finding satisfaction to God, then you must be standing outside the Father's house today. And if you feel like you are following God but you are coming up with nothing, then the only thing that can be true is that you aren't remaining in Him. The Bible says, if you remain in Him, or remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So my, my, my two things for you this morning as we close and as our worship band comes up, team, I want you to remain in Christ. We're going we're gonna to hit the rest of this story next week. I want you to remain in Christ. How do we do that? You remain with Him in the Father's house and eat from His pantry, His fridge, His table. You remain in Him by being obedient. You remain in Him by being in His presence, by trusting His promises, by understanding in His house circumstances aren't always ideal. There is still pain and there is disappointment, but you also need to remain in His body this morning. What does that mean? That means you be together in the church house. That means you be together 
as a church family. What does that look like? That means corporate worship. That means being here when the church doors are open. Some of you do a really good job. I, I'm, I'm so glad to know we have a church family that I would say, I would venture out to say that, that, that a majority of our faces, we see you nine out of ten Sundays. Like you are so faithful to your local church. and We can't thank you enough for that. But I want you to take another step. If you're not plugged into a small group yet, I want you to plug into a small group here at Crosslife Church. We have them for a reason. This is a corporate setting right here. It is so difficult for me to, to, to see and talk to every single one of you individually every single week. But when I get into a group of eight or ten people, I can talk to you individually. I can get to know you. I can get to know the things of your life. I can get to know about your family. I can get to know about your struggles. And we have so many groups that we offer here at the church for you so that you can plug in. So that's my challenge to you over the next 30 days. That if you're not plugged into a group, to plug in. We've got a college group that's about to start. Hunter and Katie, raise your hand. Hunter and Katie started coming to our church. They were another one of those, those couples that started coming mid-February or so. They have gotten on fire for the Lord. They have a heart for young people. Our high school graduates, hey, there's a spot for you to get plugged into. They've got dates on the calendar for you. There's going to be a, a group that meets every Sunday night at, uh, at Daniel's house. And, and I think some of them are going to, they're going to meet at Katie and Hunter's house. I'm sorry. They're going to meet there and, and they're going to break bread together. They're going to they're spend time together. What a, what a, what a, per, a perfect place for you to fall into for dinner free free dinner you don't have to pay for it kids amen but there's there's places for ladies for you to come to to plug into there's places for men we meet on a monthly basis just to spend time together in fellowship friendship we have a we have a new group for for young families that, that, that if you feel young you can come to it like we're not going to tell you no just come we're not going to turn anybody away but find community in your church. Find community in the local church because I promise you, when you find community, you're going to find Jesus. And you're going to find people that you can do life with and that you can live it more abundantly with Him. Maybe today you're struggling in this thing called the Christian life and you need, you need prayer. Maybe, maybe today you... You realize that you're lost and you need to be found in Him. Would you come during this invitational time? I'm going to pray for us. I'll turn it over to our worship team. You come if you need to come today. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, I just thank you for the prodigal son's story. I pray that you would send sons and daughters home. Lord, that we would see the need. Uh, Lord, that this, this to, to fall into a group. God, to find community in that group, to get to know people in our church. Lord, maybe, maybe it's a worship team. Maybe, maybe it's a, a men's group or a ladies' group or, or a, a college group or a young families' group. Whatever it is, God, just have your way, have your will. Move in our hearts, God. Move in our lives. Let us do life together. 
so that we can do life more abundantly with each other. Use this moment, God. Use this invitational time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me.